Welcome to our Clothed with the Sun daily podcast, our reading and meditation on the gospel of the day. I am James Thomas. Today is Sunday, October the 29th, 2023. It is the 30th Sunday in Ordinary Time. Of course, the world around us is celebrating Halloween weekend. Uh, Stay tuned on October 31st. I'm going to give a special extended edition to talk about the devil and the occult and exorcism and things like that. But today, we, like we advertise, we are just going to cover the gospel of the day. Today's reading is from the gospel according to St. Matthew. When the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a scholar of the law, tested him by asking, Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? He said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and the first commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The whole law and the prophets depend on these two commandments. So, when I get the same reading over and over again, and I preach on the same reading over and over again, although it's a very important reading, and it's very important that we talk about it, I know we went through and we're still going through this phase in the church where, you know, we don't really teach doctrine anymore in CCD, we just have little cute coloring books with flowers and butterflies. And we just tell people God loves them over and over again. I mean, yeah, that can be kind of painful because it lacks content, but at the same time, this, the message needs to be constantly preached. And a lot of times it's not a lot of times, you know, when we're just preaching doctrine, we're emphasizing, for example, you must do things this way. You must receive the sacraments this way. You must do these things morally and not do those things, or it's a sin and you're going to hell. And, you know, that's important too. It's important that we preach doctrine, that we preach the truth, but there needs to be a balance because Jesus didn't come to condemn us all to hell. Jesus came to save us from our sins. And that's where this law of love is uh, heightened. It's, it's already there. Jesus says it himself. It was already there in the Old Testament. I want to talk about that a little bit. I always look for new things to to look at, to think about, to pray about, to talk about. And one thing Jesus says here is that the law, everything else in the law rests on this. In other words, this is the prime. It's not just the most important commandment. It's not just the summary of the commandments, but it's the foundation of the commandments. Both the old law and the new law have this as its foundation. It's the same God, even though it was being manifested in different ways before the Savior and now after the Savior has come. It's the foundation of everything. Why was Cain punished by God? Because he committed an act against love. That's an easy one for us to see because it was murder when Cain killed his brother Abel. Do we see Adam and Eve's sin of eating the fruit as going against love? Well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Okay, they hadn't received that yet as a law, yet they were in a state of perfection. And the law is written within our hearts, so they already knew that. And a loving God that made them and gave them everything was telling them, okay, this is my rule for your good. And they broke it. So... That was also against love. Let's look at just the Old Testament in general. People might ask, 
how is the Old Testament based on love? How can we say that? To say an eye for an eye. To say, kill this person if they do that. Kill person if the, uh, the person if they do this. How can we say that's based on love? Well, there's a lot of ways we can say it without getting too specific because we don't have all day. But one thing is, it's a gradual meeting of God and his people. The people have become so depraved in so many ways. The Lord is trying to rein them in. So, for example, the whole eye for an eye thing, I wonder if you've ever heard this before. It used to be if somebody takes your eye, you can kill their whole family and their progeny. Now, under a more loving law, it's more just. If they take your eye, you can take their eye. I mean, it's still, you know, we've heard the rules given to us by Jesus, love your enemy. So therefore for us, yeah, this doesn't make sense. But it was a gradual coming to a belief in who God is and what God is all about. It was a gradual avoiding of evil. And, you know, there is a current debate, and it's really been in the church for very, very many years, the debate about the death penalty. Pope John Paul in Evangelium Vitae, and a lot of people disagree with this, and they're allowed to because he's not creating doctrine as such. You know, notice I even use the word create doctrine. A pope doesn't create doctrine. A pope in union with the bishops is, you know, uh, given that faculty by God to declare what is true, and it has to come in union with the traditions of the church. This is why nowadays people are worried, oh, you know, the pope might just change stuff. Well, he really can't because the church has laws (laughs) that it has to be the pope in union with the bishops and it has to be in continuity with tradition. The Pope can't just come out of nowhere and say, just for example, I'm not saying he's saying this, but out of nowhere can't just say, oh, you know, abortion's good now. We're, we're good with that. He couldn't do it if he tried. And actually, that would nullify his papacy to do such a thing. But anyway, I digress. In the old law, I mean, okay, so getting back to this about the death penalty, Pope John Paul said, well, we don't see any need to have it nowadays because we can keep people alive and there's greater opportunity for mercy. Now, personally speaking, I agree with that. That's where my heart is. Yet, when you read St. Thomas Aquinas and you read the history of the church on this issue of the death penalty, it's not just about keeping the people safe from the perpetrator. I mean, that's an important thing. It's not just about... um, you know, an opportunity for mercy to keep the person alive and can we keep the person alive, etc. Do we have enough money? You know, if you're traveling, you're out in the wilderness and there's somebody killing everybody like, okay, you know, the church would permit you to put that person to death if there's nothing else you can do. It doesn't have to be the moment of their aggression. But Thomas Aquinas and others would say it's also about... um And I'm trying to find the exact right words because we don't even see this written down anywhere anymore. It's not in the catechism, but a like a protection from evil, moral evil, a protection from the influence of the person, a, uh, you know, righting a wrong in a public way. Uh, Now, once again, all of our recent popes have been constantly in the act of in the effort of, you know, appealing to governors and presidents and heads of state to say, you know, please pardon this person. Okay, that's the mercy of Jesus. And that's great. That's wonderful. 
But even in the Bible, we have shunning that goes on. We have, uh, you know, sometimes, I mean, and this is where we come to the New Testament, a newer understanding. Anyway, I want to come to the newer understanding, but first, just to use that as an example, in the Old Testament, there was this very, very strong idea of ritualistic purity. The people of God represent X, Y, and Z, and these are the values of Almighty God. And the ultimate values are the Ten Commandments. And so there are laws there that if you break some of the major commandments, I mean, really, it's all the commandments, but the major things, you know, um, murder, uh, there's rules against theft, there's rules against adultery. Uh, you know, the woman that was caught in the act of adultery, they were going to stone her to death because it says to do that in the law of Moses. Well, when those laws were written, remember, Jesus is going to come and he's, he doesn't come to hold up those old laws. He comes to fulfill them with, with greater mercy. It's true. But at the time it was about ritualistic purity. It was about, well, we, we, we can't cause scandal to the people around us that we are, we are supposed to be showing the world, this is our God, this is his rules, this is who we are, this is what we do. And if people are, you know, causing scandal within that, okay, they have to be removed in some way. Okay, it's not a good thing, especially by our Christian standards, but it's still something, it was it was part of that process of showing the world, you know, these are the rules of Yahweh. And so still to this day, we have that conversation about the death penalty, Um you know, for example, I don't know, as we go to an extreme, if Adolf Hitler were caught and he didn't commit suicide, um, would Christianity permit, would, would Catholicism permit his receiving the death penalty? Well, first of all, it's not a hard and fast rule either way at this point, you know, with, with regard to development of doctrine, it's still being discussed. But at the same time, this issue that Thomas Aquinas brings up would very much come into play, you know, by his not receiving the death penalty. Is it promoting more evil in the world? Can he still have followers from his jail cell uh, that are still promoting his ideals? Is there a uh, tolerating the evil that he did and the philosophies that he held by leaving him alive? Uh, Anyway, that's the mentality there. And we see in Old Testament times before Jesus came. Yeah, there's a lot about that that we can see as actually a loving thing, even though it's hard to see it that way. Jesus comes, all right, and he's all about mercy because that's his mission. He dies on the cross to take away our sins. He says, I thirst from the cross. And so many great spiritual writers over the centuries have said he's talking about our souls. He wants us all to be saved. So Jesus, I I mean, like I say, it's my personal opinion, even though the church is still debating it. It's my opinion that yeah, we want to show the world the mercy of God. We want to show the world like, all right, we want this person to be saved. We want this person to, you know, and we want to give that person every opportunity. But Jesus, yeah, if he were right here, would he say, no, put that person to death? I don't think he would. But Jesus, let's look at what Jesus did. He constantly preached the truth. He preached moral truth. He said, turn away from your sins or something worse will happen to you. There were, we can call them threats. We can call them warnings. Regardless of that, Jesus did it. He wouldn't have said, as so many people want to claim he would, to say he wouldn't have said things like, oh, just do what you want. Do what feels good. Do what makes you happy. No, he upheld the law. And he warned about hell many, many times because you know what? 
that's the loving thing to do. If somebody's going to fall into a ditch, you say, watch out. You might even say, hey, I'm going to run over there and grab them. I'm going to run over there and throw myself in front of them to keep them from falling in that ditch. That's also what Jesus did. But Jesus was often very harsh with his words, while at the same time, loving the person, inviting the person, tolerating the person, all these words that we use nowadays, Jesus did those things too, but he did both at the same time, like a good parent. Parents out there listening to this, it's hard. We know it's hard to be a parent because you want to teach your kids right from wrong. And sometimes there are harsh penalties for doing the wrong thing, but you do that out of love because you're trying to create and raise children that follow the rules that are good people that are doing the loving thing. You're trying to be loving to them just because you're punishing them. It doesn't mean you're going to shun them yet. Then we have in St. Paul where, you know, he shuns people. He talks about shunning them. He talks about kicking them out of the community for a time for them to learn their lesson. Once again, we can say, oh, how is that loving? It is loving because you're trying to, once again, that whole idea of ritualistic purity in the Old Testament, he was still applying that in a way in New Testament times. We want to show the world this is what Christianity is. That, and this is why in the church today, yes, there's laicization. There's um, all sorts of words we can use for kicking people out of the priesthood and religious life and positions of authority, things like that. And this is why nowadays people are scandalized because people that are openly preaching heresy are being appointed to positions in the church. And some of them are bishops and they're not being reprimanded. This is being tolerated. So the loving thing, I mean, once again, Jesus was all about the balance. You welcome the person, you love the person, you accompany the person. Pope Francis uses the word accompaniment, and that's a great word. But at the same time, we uphold the dignity of our faith. It's a challenging thing to do. And I think about getting back into the classroom teaching religion. Man, it's tough <laughs> because you want to say to your students, I, I accept you for who you are and I, your, your opinion is welcome. And, and we, you know, I certainly, uh, I'm here for you if you need to, uh, help, counsel, whatever. But at the same time, this is what's true and this is what we're going to teach. <laughs> and this is why it's not just about leading you to hell because you broke the rules. We could, we could go through all the commandments and we can say, well, this is not a loving thing. For example, I mean, this is like a prime example that we keep talking about and so many even in leadership don't get. And that is why, you know, people talk about having sex outside marriage and there are all kinds of different sins we can talk about. But let's just talk about it in general, not saving sex for marriage. Okay. So many will say you're not hurting anybody. Nobody even has to know what's the big deal. Like that commercial about drugs, it'll make you feel good. All right. Why is that a sin? Why, how is that not loving to show someone this special form of love in a special way? How is it hurting anybody? Okay, let's talk about how sex outside marriage is hurting people. A baby is conceived. Okay, now what are you going to do? Abort it? All right, that's the opposite of love. Okay, have the baby and raise this child now in a situation where the parents are not together. Maybe the parents really, really try to get together and be together. Okay, but then they spend the next 20, 30 years fighting because they were never meant to be together. It was a fling. It was a one-night stand or whatever it was. They didn't properly discern marriage. 
Now you have destroyed, in many ways, the life of this person you created. That's not very loving, regardless of youth saying, oh, we weren't going to hurt anybody. We, you know, how would anybody even know? Well, no, you've just destroyed a life. And that's just one example. When they want to give out condoms in schools, very often what I will say is, okay, does that stop, you know, pregnancy from happening? Not completely, no, but okay, it has a good percentage. Whoopee. Does it stop disease? Well, those numbers are even fewer that where the condom would actually be uh, effective. But okay, all right, still percentage-wise, all right, from one time there's a chance you're not going to get it. Okay, 80%, whatever, you know, getting AIDS with a condom. Uh, I mean, it's 20%, 80% effective in stopping it. Okay, those numbers are even garbage, but okay, whatever. Have your numbers because at least they're over 50 But my response will be, can that condom stop that person's heart from breaking? When a 15, 16, 17-year-old that's very immature in their emotions, because that's what teenagers are, is now attached to someone in a very intense way, and now it's it's not going to last because they're kids, and they're going to break up, and they're going to move on, and now they have a broken heart. Now they have big scars on their heart. But they weren't hurting anybody. They were just having fun. Even parents will say this now because they don't want to do their job as parents. Well, what is the loving thing in that case? To do whatever you can to preserve the purity of your children. Whatever you can. That is the loving thing, even if at that moment it seems that you're not being very loving. Because you're mature enough and intelligent enough to see the big picture and realize this is for their greater good. It's true you don't want to be, uh, you know, Hitler with your kids. Once again, I'm bringing up Hitler, but you don't want to be. My sister sometimes calls me the Taliban, you know, because I yell about something or whatever. Um, You don't want to be the Taliban where your kids just hate you now, but still you got to find that balance. I love you, but I am 100% against you making this decision that could have these potential consequences. Never mind so many other things we could talk about. Addictive behaviors. I mean, what we're still talking about the same sin here. Uh, potential diseases, illnesses, whatever. Uh, the list goes on and on. So true law, love does this, and true love draws the heart. So many children who had strict parents, I'm not talking about abusive parents, I'm talking about strict parents, will grow up and thank their parents for being strict. I, While I was preparing this sermon, I had this image in my head, and it's similar to things we would see with Padre Pio, but no, this is something that I saw with my own eyes. I was on a trip to Haiti, a mission trip, and the priest that led us, well, you know, he was a good guy. The people knew him very well. He was from Haiti, and it was right after the earthquake happened in 2010, and the people were feeling desperate. And we went to this one village and we brought like a truckload of rice and beans and they were hungry and they needed food. Their system of, of, you know, providing for themselves had broken down to some degree because of the earthquake. So we arrive in their village with this big truck and we start to give out some rice and beans. Well, the people were worried that there wasn't enough for them. Now imagine this, there's like 20 of us and maybe there's like 200 of them. And the people start freaking out. They started rioting. It would be similar to what we would see in our inner cities, like during 2020, the George Floyd riots or what, you know, I don't know, whatever that was, Antifa. Um, Now, it wasn't as scary as that, I would think, because they didn't have weapons or anything. They were just they were desperate. They were hungry. They saw us start to hand out this food. And they started to go crazy. They started screaming. They started like, you know, rushing in and and acting a little bit violent. And so quickly 
the leaders of our team grabbed all of us, 20, 25 of us, and rushed us inside of this one little building. I think it was a church, actually, and they locked the door. And the people were outside screaming and banging on the door and the walls. And okay, it turned out we didn't have enough food for everybody, but that was easily remedied. We were able to go get some and bring it back. However, in the meantime, the priest that was leading us, who knew these people, went out and they made space for him. And he stood up on a little platform and spoke to them about how dare you act the way you just acted. We have come to help you. We have come to bring you food. I have brought my friends here from America. They're not here because they have to be. They're here because they love you and they want to be. And he proceeded to just tell them how things were and that he was going to provide for them and there was no need to riot and how they've embarrassed him and how that you have frightened these people that came here to help you. And as he started to talk to them, they all started to cry. And now we had 200 people crying their eyes out because of their previous behavior. And I said, I can't believe I'm seeing this with my own eyes. Imagine if we saw that in Philadelphia, Chicago, New York City, everybody just breaking down and crying when they realized their bad behavior of all the looting that was going on. And it still goes on here and there to this day. But what it was, was they knew it it just had, they were desperate at first. They weren't thinking. And that's how it is sometimes with the way people react to the law. They think it's not loving. But when it was explained to them in a loving manner by someone that they knew loved them, then they were so hurt by their own behavior because they realized they had sinned against love. They had sinned against and they had radically sinned against a, you know, a group of people in a scenario where they were being given what they needed. And so they repented by their tears. Padre Pio and numerous other saints used to do this as well. You know, just preaching to people in such a way that once on the one hand, you encourage people and you um, convince them of God's love while at the same time preaching the rules and saying, hey, when you do X, Y, and Z, you are hurting Jesus. These are the nails that went into his hand. And, you know, a lot of great saints will say, there's no greater prayer, or there's no, especially a prayer for repentance, when it's done with tears. And so, you know, when people are crying, weeping over their sins, God is very, very quick to forgive them. And, it, and it's a transformative moment to say, I don't want to do these sins anymore because I'm so offended that I've hurt the Lord. And it's a beautiful thing. But it comes, there's a little maturity there, maturity in faith to realize the law is founded on love. Whether it's the Old Testament law, the New Testament law, whether we're still, even myself as I preach this today, yeah, I don't know 100% all the words and all the explanations, but I do trust that we have a loving God and that he was meeting the people of Old Testament times where they were to draw them into that love and to prepare them for the Messiah. And when Jesus comes, he doesn't get rid of the law. That wouldn't be love. That would be permissiveness. That would be license. True love says we're going to uphold this law, but... I've come to give you something even better than the law, and that's me. That's mercy. That's my cross and my resurrection, by the way, in which we conquer all of it. So as we move forward today and we strive to become men and women who love God more with the help of Our Lady, of course, and who love our brothers and sisters all because they're made in God's image, we ask the Lord for that grace 
that we, uh, we will understand these things more deeply, that we will submit to the law of God more fully, understanding it is for the greater good in which all of us will experience the love of God in our hearts and ultimately his presence and his great love for all of eternity. Hope everybody has a great day. God bless you.